Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ultimate Deck Podcast, episode 88, part two. This one ran long with a ton, a ton of value. So we broke it up into two parts. This is part two. You're listening to the Ultimate Deck Podcast with Shane Chapman. Shane Chapman. Okay, so yeah, let's chat about this I must have, we get him back in here. Yeah, I must remember this wrong because I thought that the back of that... Um, like I thought it was just a flat piece that they then pushed out. But so Scott, what you're saying is that there's actually an adapter that that fits in from the back side of the ledger. Is that correct? Yeah, on the actual pre-designed ledger, there's a. I believe they call it a ledger bracket, but it's okay. it's designed that you just you put those in in advance and then mount the ledger and then. So do the way they, it's designed is the, jo- the joist just slides right over that. Okay. So, that, like, that sounds slick. Do they sell a tool that you can then use to punch that back of the ledger out on your own? Like it? No, you get, no. You get the L bracket if you have to put L it somewhere where it's not punched. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah you, just use, you just use the Fortress L bracket and you can screw that to the joist and then you just screw that L bracket right into the metal of the ledger. Yeah. So to make up for when you're off, when you're not on center. Okay. So if you need to move a joist to an odd space, it's not pre-punched and you use the L bracket, then it's pretty much just like doing a, a joist from the Trek system then, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. The difference would be that with the Treks or the light gauge system, you've got the C shape of the joist. So it's, it could be a little bit more difficult to set the L bracket correctly, but right. that's a pretty minor thing. Yeah. So, but when you're saying that one of the knocks on Fortress is that odd joy spacing is a little bit more difficult, it's not more difficult than the Trek system. Just it's kind of a bit of a finicky thing to to do it. Not necessarily worse than other yeah, systems, especially for especially first time. Yeah. Beyond okay. that, it's it's fine. Yeah, and it's. Maybe it's only frustrating because you know how slick it is when the system works, right? <laughs> it's it, like they, they made, made it, it so, too easy. Yeah, yeah they made yeah, it great, exactly. and then as soon as that doesn't work, it's like, oh, okay, well, it could be better. Okay. So, yep. Yep. That's this Seems is easy to me. This is a great list of things. This is good. We're doing some learning today. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> now, yeah. The, the, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'll let you oh, finish your thoughts. I'm about other... to change direction here, so you finish your thought. Okay. Uh, the big thing, and that was one of the things that came out of, I think that came out of the visit to the plant. Uh, they, with that bracket system, they cut the the fasteners way down for guys in the field, so the install time's better. Uh, with those those pre-punched ledger brackets they have, you're only putting one, you're putting one screw on each side of the joist, so you're driving two screws, whereas the elevations, uh, they want you to use an L70. So you're looking at eight screws versus two. Holy boy. Right. Okay. I think that, I think that's very important to reduce your amount of labor on that because your material costs are so high, right? If, yeah. if at the end of the day, yeah. you're trying to provide a deck that's $75 a square foot or $50 a square foot and your material is way up there, then your labor has to come down. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Get rid of that. 
Okay. So, okay. Now make it slick. This is what most people are considering is like, do I use Trex elevations or I use Fortress evolutions? You're saying there's a third not branded uh, option oh. that guys <laughs> that guys who haven't used steel at all probably aren't likely to start there because there's likely a bit more work in figuring it out because it's not a system per se but tell us more Correct. about that because this sounds intriguing as well especially from a price perspective so tell us about just using um, light gauge steel as an option okay yeah so we're that's that's sort of the bread and butter for us now uh, we use the light gauge steel which is, I mean, that's what Elevation started as, okay. was just a, a light gauge sea joist. Um, it was, um, actually, it was a couple of guys here in Colorado. Uh, they they were, I think, they, I think their company was Iron Deck, if I'm remembering it correctly. And Trex actually bought those guys out, bought, brought them on as consultants, and Iron Deck became elevation and they just they took a c channel and put their special powder coating on it and ta-da, it's a trex product now right so it seems to me aside from maybe the decking how a lot of trex products come to be it's a lot of licensing deals or like acquisitions of other companies or whatever right so right and i don't know that right. that's the worst idea it's like if somebody's doing it really well yeah, just there's nothing wrong like, with it. go buy them buy them right yeah you remove the right. competitor. Yeah, I'm going to buy Home Depot one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I know I know that uh, uh, UFP Decorators uh, parent company they uh, they were looking at it too, and uh, they did not pull the trigger on buying those guys out because they couldn't actually patent it because of the fact that it's just a it's it's a powder coated seed it's a powder coated seed joist. Nothing proprietary. So they, products, yeah. Right. So yeah, Universal Forest products passed on it because they couldn't patent it. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder if they're working on something now. Hey, eh? that makes you wonder. It's like they pass on that, or are they trying to do something a little bit more proprietary? Yeah. They're pretty on the ball. Uh Look at him. He's they smiling. Are from, they are from some of the conversations <laughs> that I've had. Yeah. Good. Good. I had to it's, sign a. Uh, I had to sign an NDA, so right. stop asking yeah, so many questions. They've got, they've got some stuff in the works. They've got some stuff in the works. I'm just like Shane. If you ask me about it, I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll have the hash brown." Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, to get back to what you were saying, uh, that's that's. Where that's our wheelhouse. That's our bread and butter. Is the just the standard light gauge framing. Uh, we're using the G90 coating, so it's a it's a special order item for us and for anybody. Uh, structural steel, at least down here in the states, it comes with a the, the standard is a G60 coating. So you have to just order the G90 which is a, it's a tried and true field, field proven coating level. Um, you know, the Simpson strong tie hardware for years, that's the, that's the galvanizing that they used was the G90 until the Z max came out. So, you know, at least down here in Colorado, there's, you know, we're tearing down 25 year old, 30 year old decks and, you know, the joist hangers still look like it got put in a week ago. Right. Okay. 
Okay, and so it's 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 a. Uh, it's not power coated, so you've got the bare steel look or the galvanized steel look, which is like the big. Who knows? The biggest go, knock I get from customers yeah. is looks a little that it's shiny. Yeah, yeah. Yep, the shiny is the the biggest drawback, typically for for the consumer. Okay, and does that change over time? Does it kind of lose its shininess and just kind of go to a more of a dull steel look, or is it it stays shiny and new forever? It, it it stays pretty shiny. Yeah. Um, the nice thing with the galvanizing is it doesn't it doesn't rust. It'll get some. I don't remember the correct term, but it, it almost looks like a calcification. So you'll see like a little white yep. scale build up on it sometimes. Yep. I know exactly that, what you're talking about. That cleans that cleans up pretty easy. Efflorescence. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Oh, nice thing is university though, that, word that right there. <laughs> Right. See you next week, folks. That, that G90. Uh, no. <laughs> Going for another coffee. Going for Shane. There you go. Yeah, the G90. I mean, I've had I've had a couple of sticks of that stuff on the ground at the house for like a year, literally making ground contact. And you pick them up, and it's got a little bit of that white scale on it. And other than that, they're good to go. That's like the siding for Shane's garage. <laughs> <laughs> just lays on the ground beside the garage for years. Eh? If it's not on, it can't fall off. We get a lot of wind here. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so what, tell us about working <laughs> with it. Like, what are the, I guess let's start with the pros. So cost is, is obviously okay. one, but let's start with the pros. Let's do Let's break this down the same way. Okay. Uh, so cost is a huge, huge factor when you switch to just the light gauge. Um, I know we can talk about it in a little bit when there's, I know when I sent you the talking points, there's a, we wanna, if we want to call it the tipping point with the steel, which we can get to. Yeah. Um, but the cost is, a, the cost is a factor for us. Um, it's the design capabilities that really put the, the standard light gauge sort of over the top. Um, what I mean by that is you, have a huge array of options so when you're dealing with the standard light gauge you can go from a six inch joist to a 14 inch joist and you can go in structural steel range of 18 gauge to 12 gauge yep so there's really there's a there's a product that fits any application that you may need right um big thing for a lot I think that a lot of guys don't know about that they could really benefit from is the light gauges um, they don't have the problem with having to log skews that treks and uh, fortress do so your light gauge steel you know you you order that stuff heck you can order that stuff almost to the inch so you know, you, if you're working in 45s or you've got just some funky dimensions on a project, you can order your your order and your material to fit the project instead of having to be limited to a 12, 14, 16, 18, or 20 foot stick right. in wood or or you know even elevations and evolutions. I know the evolutions has a little bit bigger skew range. Mm-hmm. They do a, I know they do a 14 and the last I checked elevations didn't and 
Fortress does an 18 foot stick too. Okay. Um, you know, the other, the great thing for us, some of the, the scales of the, the, some of the projects we've done, um, you know, I'm ordering 30 foot long pieces of steel for a joist and it's, you know, you're not, you're not dealing with having to, to splice or sister or any of that nonsense. And that 30 foot stick is eight inches tall, all 30 feet. Right. Yeah. Yeah consistent so what just i'm curious now what's the biggest span that you've done in a on a steel deck a joist span uh we've got a project up in uh evergreen where the joists themselves the joists themselves are spanning just shy of 20 feet between the beams nice that's crazy so we've got a it's actually they've got a they did a finished ceiling and all that but it's all total, it's uh, just just shy of 500 square feet that's actually free floating between the, the structural beams. Beauty, another day job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a big one. Awesome. awesome. Uh, okay, any other things? Cost, availability of sizes, the fact that you can kind of limit your waste by ordering exactly what you need. Yep. Any other pros? Uh, again, the weight. Uh, you know, stocking it for your guys is <laughs> so much easier. You know, we that that job with the thirty footers. We were building ladders out of those thirty footers, and it was it was one guy stocking those things. You know, we'd put one end up on the beam and lift it up and slide it into the ledger, and that was one guy setting those. Right. And so this is, it's basically the same profile as the Trex is what you're saying too, 18 gauge C channel. It's, um, yeah, for us, we don't, I don't like the 18 gauge. We deal in 16 gauge or higher. Okay. So a lot of times we're dealing with 14 gauge or 12 gauge. Okay. Okay. Just so that we can get those, we can get the bigger spans out of it. Okay. Do you find there's um, less damage when you're working with that heavier material? Like it doesn't bend as easy or. Yeah. Yeah. The, especially, especially 12 gauge. Like, do you, you want to try and <laughs> you get a, like a piece of, of track to use for a rim or something. And those flanges are tipped in. Like you got to put in a little bit of work to open them up. Yeah. Okay. Good. So. All right. What are the knocks? Um, other, other big pros, um, I, especially for guys, it, it, the guys that are like infinite decks. Uh, Never heard of which, them. Which thank you for, <laughs> right? Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for that follow, by the way. Uh, you know, guys like that, um, you back in your day when you were doing the curves, you know, Jason Russell, those guys that are doing some phenomenal stuff with board bending. You know, you have to get that rim joist or get you, your back cutting the heck out of a board to get a rim and then doing all this crazy blocking and this and that. And with the steel, you just, you know, you, you, you put some notch cuts on the top and that thing just folds and makes that nice rim. And it, again, it's all the same size. So you're not fighting with planing or, you know, trying to bring one side up, push one side down and, with the with the length capabilities of it, you can make your arcs out of one piece. So you're not 
you're not trying to deal with a splice. Yep. Right. Okay. We have a question in Instagram here from Quigley Cable Reel. It says, how is it screened down the deck boards? I assume it's pretty similar regardless of the system you're using, but what's it like using self-tapping clips or Cortex or whatever you use? It's pretty much the same. Okay. Just a it's, slower uh, start on the screw, basically? It's a little slower, and it, it takes, you know, they don't bite as fast. What's your, you know. what's your go-to fastener, the one that you're using the most? Uh, well, the great thing is um, Camo just, um, and I think you guys know about it, Camo finally put out the X-Clip for steel, or at least they're telling me they're going to have it to market in August. Okay. So we we just got to use the X-Clip, and that's probably going to be the go-to for us now. Okay, nice. Just because it's... You know, you can lay your whole field, you're, you know, with that drive system. You're not on your knees with the fasteners anymore. And, uh, yeah, we just, the project we're doing currently, it's, it's a 14-gauge steel, so I was a little bit worried about those screws in the 14-gauge. But they, uh, once the torque setting was on the drill the right way, they, they worked out really well. Good. Awesome. Were you snapping any if it was over-torqued? Does that happen? The, the biggest, the, the screws themselves don't necessarily snap. Uh, the big thing is, is the cutting tip on them will, will torque. Right. And it'll, it'll torque or it'll break. And then they just, they just won't drive. They'll just sit there and spin. Okay. But actual, the only actual breakages we had was me kicking a couple of them with my big feet before we had set them. Right. Okay. Um, any other pros you want to discuss before we talk about, there's obviously going to be some limitations with this as well, but anything else to add? Uh, man, I, I don't want to ramble on forever about, uh, you know, just, I think for most guys, like you were just talking about with how fast they're pushing the lumber through right now, uh, you know, it's the dimensional stability of the product. You know, every yeah. single Every single piece is the same size. You know, I, I, it's one of those things where I'm watching some of these other guys that are doing incredible projects and they're knocking out, you know, they're knocking out thousand, two thousand square foot projects. And I'm just, and I'm just like, man, how long did you spend, you know, sorting your lumber and crowning everything and planing your joists and yep, right, you know, and it's like, yeah, steel with the asterisk is more expensive, but there's a whole lot of time savings on the other side that I think most guys are overlooking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get to, we'll get to a compare, like we'll get your opinion on wood versus steel here in a moment, but any, any cons to using light gauge steel over the systems over evolutions or, um, elevations? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, the biggest con, biggest con is that, it's because it's not a system you're at least for me we're usually looking at uh having engineering involved right just because i mean i was talking to michael at simcoe the other day about it and there are you know in the in the code books there is a small section that deals with steel framing for floor systems that a lot of times the building departments will let transition to a deck but those charts are just so limited in, in terms of what they contain yep. that you're just not, you're not going to get 
a whole lot of projects covered by the standard charts in the code book. Yeah, right. So I would say arguably the biggest con is the added cost of an engineer. Okay. Okay. Whereas the systems already have that done. Right. So is it both the elevations and evolutions have, have stamps stamps already in place. Are you finding that the cost of then getting that engineering done is offsetting the costs of the system? Cause this is one of the benefits was it's cheaper, but if you then need to get it stamped, how much is that biting back into the cost savings? It's, it's biting back, but honestly for us, especially on the projects that we're doing, we're more than recouping that difference. So there'll be a breaking point probably on size of the project then, right? You know, if it's 300 square feet or less than the engineering kind of offsets There's, the cost. If it's bigger then you're saving on 200 joints. Right. So, okay. Right. And yeah, I mean, honestly, for guys looking to get into the game, uh, having a relationship, finding a good structural engineer is, should probably be step one or two in the process. Right. Yeah. So uh, we've been, oh, go ahead. Like just out of curiosity, what are you paying for a, an engineer to stamp a set of plans like that? Like what's your, I know that it's regional, but just even for an idea. Uh, so we usually go between like 600 to like 1500 yeah, depending okay. on the job. Okay. Um, the engineer I work with, uh, Remington engineering here and he's in Conifer, but he's, He's awesome. He's one of these guys that um, engineers, he over-engineers because I asked him to, um, but he is also very cognizant of value engineering. That's huge. And he is, I was going to yeah, say, you didn't he, have to ask him to. That's just what they do, over-engineering. They over-engineer like but crazy. But the value, the value one is, is good. That's yeah. important. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because he actually uh, he bitches to me about the, the standards that I want him to engineer to. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, yeah. He he actually he actually chastised me a little bit on this last job for having ridiculous standards. So kind of turned the tables a little bit. Yeah, that's refreshing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Good. Um, so yeah, you're, for us, that's the range you're looking at. Um, but again, if you're um, you get the right engineer, it makes a ton of difference. Uh, for you know, this job we're doing currently, uh, the architect that designed the project had hired an engine, another engineer, and the guy just didn't have any familiarity with trying to do a steel frame deck. Yeah, it wasn't really uh, up to snuff on helical piers. Right. So uh, we got Nick involved, and he re-engineered the whole job for us. And even after we paid his engineering fees, we cut about $6,000 off the budget because of just we trimmed a whole bunch of helical piers out that we didn't need. We managed to rework some of the steel. Right. So, you know, it was, it was very much value added for the client. Right. Nice. Awesome. Good. Okay. Okay. So that was, that was one of seven talking points. Here we go. Here we go. Hour and a half in. Um, we've covered a lot of the other ones too. So it's not like this is going to be a seven hour podcast or anything, but the one I was, the one I was intrigued about with your points, you kind of sent my way. was this myth about the specialty tools. So 
Yep. Because I think that's a fear we've talked about it a little bit. It's like, ah, you got, you know, that's why people don't want to do it. They got to go buy a, I don't know, a, like a steel track saw. Steel <laughs> track saw. <laughs> they got to, right. they might need some extra tools that they maybe aren't sitting on right now, but you're saying otherwise. Tell yep. us, tell us more about that. Correct. Yeah, I think the, I think from what you said, like you just said, um, and my interactions with other builders is there's this big concern that, oh my God, I'm going to have to make, a crazy investment in all these, in all these specialty tools. And at the end of the day, the only what I would call quote unquote specialty tool you really need to be efficient is a cold cutting metal saw, which, you know, all, almost all these guys that are, you know, following the podcast or are in these builder groups, you know, they've all invested in good tools. They've all got Milwaukee's or Makita's or DeWalt's and all three of those manufacturers are making metal cutting saws in the cordless platform. So you're, you know, your major manufacturers are on board. It's just not as well known. Like, you know, you're not, you're not buying the metal Makita saw at Home Depot. You gotta, you gotta do a little digging for it, but it's out there. Right. And even all that, I'm hearing is like another tool to add to the war chest. I love right? it. Right. I mean, that was my thing. It was like, it was an excuse <laughs> to buy tools back in the day. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, part of that, would you like the radio with that? Ah, oh, like, you weren't supposed to ask right. about one more tools. Yeah. I'll take two radios. <laughs> then. Right. And some hash browns. And a hash brown. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, so, and I would say, honestly, the, the, the thing on the saw is that it's, it's more of a comfort thing than a, an absolute necessity. Right. You know, you can go, you can, currently you can go to like Home Depot and you can buy a steel demon, steel joist cutting blade for a worm driver, a seven and a quarter inch circular saw, and it'll work. Right. It's just that it, it honestly, it, it beats you up. Yeah. Because the, 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 the shavings from the cut are kind of brutal. Right. And that's where the, the metal cutting saws come in. You know, they're designed to they're designed to catch those metal chips and all that, so they're much more user friendly. And then in be- terms of actually having to have one to do the job, you don't have to have one. So that'd be nice for a variety of reasons, I guess, right? One, they're not going to get stuck in your arm as you're cutting things, whatever. It's not going to get into the motor of the saw. Like it's designed to kind of capture that. It's not going to get into the customer's lawn or embed little pieces of filings into the composite cap of the decking, whatever. So there's, it's like <laughs> worth the investment in doing that, right? And getting that saw. So what would you say then? A metal chop saw and what? A grinder? Is that what we're talking? That's, that's, Pretty much it, yeah. And so, maybe a um, welder. Should, thing, should you get a MIG welder too? <laughs> uh, it depends on what you want to do. Yep, uh, sounds like it. Honestly, uh, <laughs> put it in the trailer. One of the, the <laughs> one of the one of one of my guys is a, is actually a, a certified welder, and that allows us that allowed us to branch out into the structural steel. So, you know, we're framing the joist and light gauge, but all of all of the beams and uh, columns we're using are all heavy gauge structural steel. And the, the welding, you know, just opened up those avenues for us. Yep. Right. Okay. So there it is. It's not as daunting uh, as you think. Because guys will have a grinder already. That's a tool that's already in your trailer, guaranteed. Comes in your kit. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. You bought a seven-piece Makita kit. The grinder was the one you didn't think you wanted, like that in the flashlight. You're like, oh, I'd rather get a different. Yeah. But you got one. Anyways. Right. So, so maybe, there. maybe a metal chop saw. If you're planning on doing a bunch of these, if you do one, grab yeah. a blade for your skill saw. The thing, the thing with that though is you want to make sure it's uh, if you're looking at the chop style, chop saw style it needs to be um a cold cutting chop saw okay right. i uh i learned that the hard way we uh the one of the projects we did i just had you know i had the old abrasive blade chop saw in the, in the shop and was like well let's use this thing and it just massacres that light gauge and you end up with all these it takes longer to cut than it, it should, and you end up with crazy flares on the steel that make it not want to sit down yep. in right. the track, right? Like it's all furred so, like crazy. Yeah. 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 We spent a, a lot of time cleaning up the cuts using an actual abrasive chop saw. So, yep. right. If you steer away from that and you use the cold cutting metal saw, you get super clean cuts and you're good to go. And so the only trick on that is they just, they just, the RPMs are a little bit slower, right? Like I, that's, I have yeah, a that's the big chop thing. saw that I used when I was doing interior finishing and I used it to cut the balusters, the aluminum spindles or metal spindles. And it just turns slower. So it's not super tricky. It looks like yep, a normal chop a, saw. Yep. There's just an RPM difference. That's, that's the big difference. Yep. Nothing to it. So, okay. so yeah, I mean, as far as install goes for the steel, you're basically looking at, a metal saw, a grinder, and an impact driver or a drill with a 5 inch nut driver. And you can pretty much build the whole deck with those three tools. Good. Well, that's awesome. That's good to dispel that myth a little bit. Because, like I said, two of those tools the guys have already for sure. They just might need that chop saw. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, we mentioned this a little bit earlier before and I don't know if you have more to, to talk on it, but the steel versus wood tipping point. What yep. what what are you referring to there? Like the size of the project or what's the tipping point you're referring to? Um, so I was talking to uh, Michael about it at Simcoe and we were looking, We I was doing a comparison with him. Um, he was talking about, he's, he's standard issue is a, is a two by 10 joist at 12 inches on center. Yeah. And we we were getting into the discussion about um, spans and costs, and the point I brought up to him was, you know, you're in a scenario like that where you're using a two by ten, you're getting I forget what the span is, it's something like sixteen feet or something like that at twelve on center. Yeah. And then if you end up bumping up, let's say you want to do that. Um, 18 inch or eight let's say you need to get like an 18 foot span or a 17 foot span out of a joist um now you're looking at you know you're bumping up to a two by 12 basically if you want to cover that that same span right and i can do or we can do or whoever is going to go into steel you can get a just shy of 20 foot span out of a two by eight steel joist. And the thing I was talking to Michael about is when you hit that sort of that magic threshold in span, you go from, at least in my market, uh, a 20 foot, 
two by 12 is going to run you about 80 bucks somewhere in that ballpark for a, a, a KDAT two by 12. Right. And I was telling Michael this as the same token, I can get that two by eight joist. And not only can I get it, you know, I can span further with it, but I can order it at 18 feet versus 20. And that two by eight joist is running me about $2 and 50 some cents a linear foot. So that 18 foot steel joist comes in under 50 bucks. Yeah. Where that two by 12 joist is 80 bucks. So that, you know, that 30 bucks of joist savings, suddenly, suddenly I'm buying steel for less than pressure treated. Yeah. So especially on those jobs that require those longer spans, it's quite likely. Yep. So, cause this is a common question and it just popped up here again from RC Renault's is what's the cost difference between wood and steel. And if I'm reading, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, it depends on the job. Like if it's a smaller job, there might be a cost differential. There might be a premium for the steel, but on a bigger job with bigger spans, you might eat that all up and, and come out ahead or at least not any yep. more money. Because what I've heard from... At least not more. Yeah, what I've heard from the... And you can clarify this more because you're more familiar with it. What I've heard from the decking, or sorry, from the framing companies mostly or in the mar- in the market is that Trex elevations was... They always kind of said it was about four times more than treated lumber. Fortress came out and said, ours is only two and a half times the cost of treated lumber. And now you're saying just going light gauge seal is less than that even, so you're closing the gap. At the same time, as we talked about before with the lumber pricing going up. So it depends, I right. guess, is the answer. But do you have better ratios than that? Um, or does that sound about right for most jobs? Let's say, let's say, say on a, let's not talk about like the 20 foot span monsters. Let's say on an average 250 square foot deck, let's say whatever it's, it's 12 by 20, 16. like 24 or something. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're still talking, um, I'm, I don't, again, I'm not sure what linear linear foot cost would be there, uh, you know. But linear a, a two by a two by eight cold cold rolled light gauge steel is about is less than two sixty a linear foot for your structure. And you again, you're ordering at the size, so you don't have the waste factor. Mm-hmm. And I think when we, I think when Michael and I talked about it, it was. On a smaller project, you were talking thirty, maybe forty cents a linear foot different from the joist. Yep. So for that, I'd go steel all day long. That like, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's that's not, and part of that is that's not a fair comparison either. Because yeah, that that steel joist that I'm buying might cost me thirty cents a linear foot more. But I'm not. I don't have to plane that joist. Yeah, no. I don't have to tape. I don't have. I don't have to tape that joist. Um, we do. We if we do cut them, we do. We do an end cut treatment like you would do with wood. Right. But uh, you can buy the the cold galvanizing compound that you use to treat those cuts. Is you can buy you can buy a six pack and it's like four bucks a can, and you can. I mean. You can do like a beer. two thousand square foot thing with with six cans easy. Right. So So yeah. even on the even on the smaller scale jobs, if you're if you're planning and executing well, you're really getting close in cost. Especially again with the light gauge, because now let's say you only need to spend twelve feet, 
you can bump that down to a six inch light gauge joist and get that span. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So cost is yeah. not, there's a lot of factors. I want to do this it. so bad. Let's not, sell one. <laughs> not just the linear foot cost, but there's a lot of other things that are playing into this. So, but I guess the moral of the story is it's not as much as people fear it might be. So no, no, especially like you were saying, it's, if you're looking at the if the branded and marketing steel, I mean those guys have they've got to pay for that marketing and branding, and yeah, the yeah. light gauge guys don't. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're not aware of the light gauge possibilities, it's I think it really opens up a lot of avenues for guys that aren't familiar with steel that want to make that transition. Sure. Um, just a question that's popped into my head here as we talk about treating the end cuts and whatnot. Do you ever find, especially with uh, the C-channel stuff, where you've dr- driven your screws through, Is has there ever been a place where you've seen rust develop or maybe like drip down the screw or like, does that happen or is it fine? It doesn't, it doesn't corrode anything around the screw. We've seen, um, we've got a couple of jobs now, those jobs that are four years old. Uh, we actually still go back to that job every year. Because uh, they uh, overlook where they do the Fourth of July fireworks for the School of Mines here in Golden. Okay. So we go back and see that job every year, and there's not there's not a hint of rust on that. Um, the only time you have rust issues uh, where it shows up typically is the shavings themselves, for where the screw goes through. Right the the steel itself but the you know the screws don't haven't shown the rust other than if there's like a a a flake on the screw from where it drove through right right okay but yeah no four years in we haven't had we haven't had any issues with streaking showing up or anything like that awesome there's been a couple of times where you know there's been some shavings that have been stuck in the flange but we didn't blow out with the blower, right? And they'll they'll rust, but it, it hasn't bled through, so you don't you haven't seen it. Yeah, and even that, awesome. not a big deal, right? Go back, suit them off, use some CLR, get the rust off, good to go. Uh, comment from Quigley Deck Quigley Cable. This is a good this is a good comment. Just did some research. If I sell my compressor and framing nailers and buy a chop saw, I'll have enough money left over to buy coffee and hash browns for the crew at McDonald's. So, but that's. He's making a good, good point, though. We're talking about, like, oh, what tools do I need to get to do steel framing? And it's like, well, what ones can you give up if you don't do wood anymore? Yeah. It I, may offset it, right? If you, like, I'm guessing you want to keep a miter saw around kind of thing, but there might be some tools that well, you can use for you. Like your power planer, for example. Yeah, you don't need the power planer. Right. You don't need an air compressor. Yeah. You don't need a spiker. Right. So there you go. There's your chop saw. Easily. Easily. Pretty much. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Now... You mentioned that there's some hidden pros of steel in our chat before. Is that have we talked about those already? Or you you got some berries We've touched in your on pocket? most of them? I think. Okay. 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 Just some berries in your I pocket. Just, <laughs> just from. Uh, Don't put that um, on Instagram. One that a lot. <laughs> one that a lot of guys, at least for us, one of the really big things that's nice is this is again going back to it, but the steel's magnetic. So you know you get yourself a magnetic level, and you're not. <laughs> You know, when I was framing with wood, I don't know how many times I kicked the level off the framing. Yeah. And you don't have to do, we don't deal with that anymore. That's a great point. So that's, yeah, you're that's a long ways, one. Whatever, you're 10 feet or 12 feet in the air. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, hits the ground. And you're like, ah, 
that thing shot, right? It's just like, that's like, yeah. <laughs> could you see my brain working right there? Was that like, it looked you, like you were picking your nose at Could you hear that too? I could Was hear it like, that. you hear the gears like, oh, he's got something. He's onto something. No, I was, I was suddenly starting to think, I was like, all these, but maybe you don't need these tools, but you get these rafter hooks and whatnot on all your tools. And it's like, I wonder if that could just be like yep, a little magnetic true. thing. Like it'll hook over the joist anyway if it's one and a half inches wide right. or whatever. But I was like, I wonder if there's like you, instead of screwing your belt hook onto something, whatever, maybe that has a magnet and you could stick your impact to the side of the joist instead of having it hanging on your belt, right? I'll talk yeah. to the guys in Calgary that made the magnets for the deck and see if they've got some I've, left over. Here I'm it is. Something. There you go. <laughs> I've found yeah, something. Don't forget, don't, don't forget about those hidden magnet fasteners. That's a, that's a game yeah. changer. Yeah. Put a magnet in the bottom of your battery pack and it's like, bong, stuck there, right? Right. right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bryce, who doesn't work with tools as much as like, sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one that's in, especially in with millennials entering the market and people that are, uh, you know, the environmental topics that are coming up. Oh, those are the worst. You got lots people, of them in Denver. But, eh? Are millennials actually entering the workforce or are they just... Like, I thought that they were just protesting and hanging out I don't home. know if they're entering the workforce, but some of them are definitely definitely hiring deck builders. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, one of the nice things with the steel is, another nice thing with the steel is all your cutoffs are recyclable. Yep. You know, so you're... At the end of the day, uh, the job we're on right now, we actually had a bunch of the cutoffs, and the homeowner knows a, a lady who scrap metal does scrap metal recycling and donates it to uh, a Boy Scout troop. So we had you know, we had somebody come and pick up our trash for us, and then donated it to somebody else. I was just, yeah, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. But you could literally, if you wanted to, you can donate if you're a good human being or if you're really shitty, you could sell. And want to make money. <laughs> like, yeah. But for real though, if you, like over a season of decking, if you were throwing a bunch of whatever, six inch, 12 inch cutoffs into a bin or something like that, like that actually has value. You could get paid from a scrap metal place for all your cutoffs. That's a night of beer for women. Yeah. That's your Christmas party. Afternoon. Right? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I mean, Boy, as, that's bad what... as, as bad as the, the metal scrapping guys are in this market, man, you, you just leave it out on the curb for 20 minutes and yeah. you're, all your all your waste for the day is gone. <laughs> so I wonder if like, because we hear it a lot here too, and especially copper, people stealing copper off anything that copper is attached to. Yep. I wonder if you're more at risk. Like there's always this thing, like we do a lot of deliveries, of course, and some people are a little bit uh, weary of leaving their materials sitting in their driveway for too long. And we, I've never... We've never actually heard of anybody losing their materials, somebody stealing it. But I wonder if your materials were valuable like steel, steel if, that, if you're more of a risk that somebody will roll up there. Because there's, re- there's not a huge resale market for composite decking. Like if you were to go steal somebody's composite decking, you have to go on and sell it on Kijiji. There's no, like, there's no market out there for secondhand No decking, black market. Right? Well, no, no, no legitimate market. Whereas with steel, you actually do have like junkers that buy that stuff. You don't have to try to sell it yourself on somewhere. You can just take it to somewhere and be like, yeah. I have this. What are you paying? So for? my, like, I don't think you're going to steal that. Cause that stuff's 20 feet long. You're not rolling up there in a pedal bike and a grinder and going to cut up somebody's deck in the middle of the night when they're like, they'll wake up and be like, Hey, no, stop cutting look, my deck up. That would look sketchy. But if I rolled up with a 20 foot trailer and started loading stuff, nobody would question it ever. Yeah. But okay. 
Listen, we think I'm criminals are cash. different. We think criminals are different people. <laughs> I don't think a criminal rolls up in an F three fifty with a twenty five foot trailer and yes, loads. he does. He rolls up in your F three fifty. He stole, he stole it. it. This is true. He picked it up earlier. Yeah, those guys are, those guys aren't typically selling scrap though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, they're packing cocaine into coffee beans, right? That's right. <laughs> um, last thing that guys are going to want to know: How do you sell this to customers? So when most people call, they probably haven't done the research to know that it's even an option. They're expecting you're going to frame their deck out of wood. How do you, how do you bring that conversation forward? And then how do you get them to say like, oh yeah, that's worth, if it is more money, we're spending the money for like, what's, how does that work? Or do you find that they don't care? It's like, if the money's the same, they're like, yeah, do whatever you think's best. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably one of the biggest uh, obstacles and learning curves for me personally with the with the steel was how in the heck to sell it to clients. Um, you know, I, I originally started out from the structural builder side with people, and it, it just doesn't it didn't work. You know, you go to somebody's house and. You, you know, you talk about, oh, it's so strong and it's so light and it doesn't fit. And, and people, I found that people didn't care. <laughs> they don't give a shit how heavy it is because yeah. they don't have to pick any of it right. up. That's you. Yeah. That's oh, a you right. problem. Oh, it weighs less? How much less is your install then? That's what they would be thinking, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you tell people and I, I can't tell you how many times I would be sitting there with somebody and like, you know, your frame's going to last you for 30 years, no problem. And they would look at you and be like, but it's shiny. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's you like, know, it, it, yeah. And it, it, it became finally, it was like, okay, I can't, I can't sell the construction merits of steel to people. I have to find a, a different Avenue. And that, Avenue actually came through uh, the selling the aesthetic side. And what I mean by that uh, is that I don't know about up there, but down here and on Facebook and other places, almost inevitably going on a sales call and talking about composite decking, the client at some point in the conversation would go, well, I don't want my decking to sag. I see all these pictures online of composite decking of treks and it sags. And that was finally when like the light went on for me and it was like, <laughs> yeah. And it was, Oh, well you, you know why your deck sags. It's not the decking. It's that wood frame underneath. Yeah. It's, it's got crowns, it's shrinking, it's swelling and your deck is following the framing underneath. Yeah, and if we go with steel framing, you're going to eliminate that, and the money that you're putting into this product, your decking's going to stay flat and it's going to stay level for as long as you live in your house. And suddenly, yeah. with that switch in the sales tactic or sales pitch, it was like—I mean—you could see the light go on for people. And they're like, "Oh, well, yeah. If I'm going to spend this four bucks a foot for my voyage board." I want that thing to stay flat. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to find the features and benefits that are relevant to them and the weight of it and whatever else probably isn't it. They're not working with it. Right. So there's probably right. a number of things that you could use that 
you know, the longevity of it, the the true and straightness of it, the fact that it's not going to sag, it's not going to yep. move. That leads me to a question here, though. Do you find, so I don't know if you're using a bunch of different brands of composite or if you've pretty much kind of stuck with decorators now, but do you find that your joints on, like, say, a miter or something with steel framing stay truer than on wood framing? Because, like, the board's going to expand and contract the same amount, but there's no movement in the lumber underneath. So do they? Do you find a difference? Uh... Yeah, uh, we haven't had. I totally any, believe you. The way you real- sold that right there, I believe you for sure. <laughs> right? Uh, no, we haven't had any any real issues with things pulling apart or shifting. Um, the great thing with the steel, especially, is the um, like the picture frames and the breaker boards. Yeah, that's what I'm referring the to. The gaps. The gaps have stayed really true over time. Okay. Okay. Because of that stable um, substructure. Yeah. So the composite is still going to do what composite does, but you're not yep. also fighting the lumber shrinking and everything else. So it's not right. compounded. Yeah, and I, I think that I think probably people don't talk about that much when they talk about composite moving all of the time, right? It's just like, well, that's what happens. Composite moves. It's a plastic, but they're but they're for sure different. not talking about the wood and that is absolutely a factor in that part right? of it. Yeah. I don't know how much of it is the wood, but some of it for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think honestly, uh, one of the big issues or one of the selling points that came around when you were talking about identifying what matters to the customer is with the steel, you know, I, you're able to give the customer some sort of warranty on a frame and right. You know, there's custom, there's guys out there building $300,000 projects in pressure treated. And because of the nature of wood, they can't warranty that frame or they lose their shirt. Yeah. Yeah. But doesn't it last for 40 years? No problem. Warranty. Like the cabinet maker, cabinet installer told me, picked fight with me on over time. What are you taping that for? It lasts 40 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, if you, if you use the right band to, Brand of PL Premium it creates a seal around your brad nail so that the water can't get in. That's right. Yeah. Uh, question in the chat here from Mitcondex says, what do you do for ledger attachment with steel frame on brick veneer on wood frame house? Lots of materials at play here. Yeah. Over brick, uh, basically. I would, I, I would say uh, in all self-defense that I would let my engineer determine that connection. Yeah. Great answer. I have a question too, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, you have the mic, so that'll work great. Yeah. <laughs> shut shut Mitcon decks down there in a hurry. Yeah. Um, what do you do for rain management? So, like wood frame, it's pretty easy to install a Trex rain escape. What's the solution, or how do you install water control? Uh, you could, if you really, really want to, you can still do a trough style between the joists. Uh, it's a nightmare. Um, the nice thing with the steel is that you can do the under deck drainage. Right. So you can do a, um, a, like a galvalume. I guess that yeah, makes sense. Deck you're, not, you're not worried about the lumber getting wet. Hundred percent. All of the time we talked about the under deck right? ones, we were like, "Well, yeah. it's awful because all the moisture travels on the wood and rots that out." Yeah. And so right. that makes sense. Yeah, and that's actually that's actually one of the features uh, we we talk about with clients is that you know especially people that are doing say a second story deck is that they've got some future proofing in there. So 
let's say this year it's the budget's only for the deck, but they really want to have that underneath space. Well, with you know with steel, you can wait a year or two years and then do a retrofit underneath drainage system, and you're good to go. You don't have those concerns about the water contact. You don't have the breathability issues that a wood frame has. Right. And that you know that that's been a real big uh, key. That's awesome. Sell the product to people. And so that'll, you you know, you can say, Hey, in two years when the budget allows, you can put a ceiling on this. Right. And And then that could counteract their, their concern about the shiny framing. It's like, well, what you're saving by using the LGS instead of one of these brandable marketed steel options, you could then put towards never seeing it anyway with a drainage system. Yeah. And I, so when I sell those decks with a rain management system or a second level, the compromise or the trade-off right now is the deck board. You sell a less expensive deck board because you don't want to have that moisture on traveling around, like doing an under deck oasis or a timber tech dry space is not really an, it's an option, but it shouldn't be, you know what I mean? It's not as good. So you always sell like the EPDM or the rain escape system and then a less expensive deck board. But if you could do the frame sure. and a great board and then in two years, yeah, that's awesome. Have you done rain escape or EPDM troughs over top before? And if so, how, what are you attaching with? Uh, we, <laughs> we started one and then just abandoned it. <laughs> um, just, it, it was too, it was, it was ended up being too slow. Staple gun wasn't really uh, penetrating the steel. <laughs> eh? Right. Yeah, actually, uh, we were, we're was able to do an attachment. Um, this would fall under specialty tools that you don't need but can have. Um, I've actually got a, a pneumatic pinning system that does a spiral shank nail, and it fires it. It fires at about 300 psi. So we could use that to pin the We can use that to pin the EPDM down. Um, we actually use it a lot on the rim joist. Cause we can clamp that, we can clamp that rim joist down and shoot a nail through it. And then when we go to do the picture frame, we don't have to account for the hex head anymore. Okay. We can get that board to lay flat. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll bet you that would go clean through your hand at 300 PSI. Hey, eh? I wonder if a rivet, could a riveter work for that too? Possibly. I could. I, I would think I, I've never tried to be honest, but I don't know. Interesting. Um, I would say just touching back real quick on the shiny aspect. The other thing is with the steel, uh, I don't, I see it all the time, at least here with decks that we demo is you get people that decide that they're going to paint their deck structure when they get their house painted. So, you know, they have these guys come through and they spray that latex paint all over those joists to make them match the house. And all they did was made that rotting process expedite because all that water's getting trapped now. Right. Yeah. And you know, with that, with the steel frame, you're good to go. You know, people get their house painted, no worries. Get, right. get that steel a good cleaning, and then you can paint it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. There's a question here again from the um, Instagram here from RCR Reynolds. If you were to say, if you were to do say a herringbone. With picture frame, how does the backing? Sorry, how do the how do how does the backups for the boards work? And I'm assuming there would be blocking on spans. Yeah, so just backing. I think he's looking uh, for yeah. like how do you do all your backing for a herringbone? Uh, yeah, so blocking for inlays and stuff like that. 
it's it's actually pretty fast and easy if you get used to it. You can take your joist and take a piece of the track, and uh, again, you can with the, the especially the light gauge, you can vary that. So you can do a six inch track, an eight inch track, a ten inch track, and you span that. You just basically can put that over the two joists, and you've got that nice flat run for all your blocking to land on. Kind of like if you're doing a rain escapes and you turn a you turn your two by face up, and you just have that you're screwing through the sides, and you've got that nice flat plate right yeah, in okay. a in a two by, and you yeah. just notch you're doing it the over same top, thing. Right? No, you can just set the track over. You set the track over the two joists, and you can screw through the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, in the Fortress Evolutions case, they're pre-made mid-span blocking pieces. Are those structural enough that you could use use those for picture frame blocking? Uh, I've never tried. Got him. Guy thinks he knows everything. <laughs> One hour, fifty-four I mean, minutes. Got him. I, I, I personally, I personally wouldn't. Okay. But that being said, you can take that rim track of theirs and put that either between or on top of the two joists, and your blocking's done for the whole run. Right. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. Uh, this has been so good. Okay. This listen. is the longest one. Just so you know, officially, this is the longest podcast we've ever done. Oh. This is probably a two-parter. Hey, Bryce, is this a two-parter? I think next week you yes. should not be working in here. You should be building a steel deck next week. Me? Yep. Nope. Pitter-patter. <laughs> oh. He said sometimes you get little burrs in your skin. I don't... I'm soft now. I can't do that. Holy right. man. This has been like... I. This has been a great, great podcast, at least for us. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other people that get tons of value out of this because this has answered a lot of questions that that we have and that you're not going to get from a rep even. Nope. Right. Cause for one, you're not going to get an unbiased opinion, but two, you're not even talking to somebody who's ever worked with it before realistically. Right. Yeah. Um, Scott, was there anything else what? you wanted to talk about on this topic? Like don't work. Like we're already two hours in. So what's three hours? <laughs> well, I have, I'm kidding. But to you, you, if you want to add anything else. Um, I think the only thing that I missed uh, as far as my end goes, uh, as a positive with the light gauge is uh, the, the custom customizability um, of the uh, strength of the deck itself. And what I mean by that, um, a lot of, I mean, the Joe public's not going to know, but a lot of the good builders will know that all your joist spans and your code books are based on joist deflection. Right. And with uh, it's a knock. In all honesty, it can be a knock on steel because it it, it can span, but it also has it, it has almost a trampoline effect if you're not careful. Right. Um, they call it serviceability issues or bounciness. But the the nice thing for us, especially dealing with an engineer, uh, is I can dial that. I can dial that deflection into any number that I want yeah. and we can design the project around that number. So as it relates to that, so, have you found that there's a certain number, that there's a certain amount of deflection that people have come back to you and complained about? It's like if it deflects more than a half, like whatever, the span half inch, engineered half inch, whatever, Are you, is there like a number where people are giving you feedback? Like have, it's bouncy and it's like, oh, if we keep it at this number, then they don't complain? No, I mean, honestly, we've never had a callback for that. Um, we did do one project where I personally felt 
that there was just a little too much give in the middle. McDonald's and, donuts. Uh, McDonald's donuts. They'll do that too. <laughs> right? Yeah. Seriously. Uh, so for us now, uh, I've just sort of put a blanket policy in with the structural engineer that we work with. And it's, hey, I don't care if we span 10 feet. I don't care if we span 30 feet. You, you got to design it so that our maximum deflection is an eighth of an inch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's people won't feel it's that. Pretty I feel crazy. Like, I feel like a half inch was a pretty big number when you were like, yeah, it's well, a half just, inch deflection. I was like, holy smokes! I I was thinking quarter tops. Yeah, I was just throwing yeah. numbers. Yeah. Well, that was right? my thing. Is you know, especially that like that deck we were talking about where we're spanning twenty feet with our joists. I mean, by code we could have five eighths of an inch of deflection in there and still pass code. Yeah. But. <laughs> the customer gets out on that yeah and they're going to be like you built me a trampoline yeah and so we you know we've taken that part out of the out of the equation for us so i mean the big thing for me is you know i'm running about 240 if i can if i can stand in the middle and like jump up and down and it it pretty much doesn't give then we're good to go yeah well your crew is just too nice to you no, no, Scott. It didn't. It didn't really move. We didn't see. Hey, Kev, did you see it move? No, no right? Like no, he's good, good right? Yeah. It didn't. Um, NFDI. Yeah, no. Kevin from NFDI says that the Ultimate Deck Shop should start selling some of their own custom steel systems. And so, my question to you is: If we do, will you be our spokesperson? Will you buy steel from us? Let's do this. Yeah. But you have to wear an right? adult I mean, size T-shirt. From a from a retail side, um, for you guys with the with the light gauge especially and that super sweet uh, assisted DIY program you got going there for these people that are homeowners building you know 12 by 12 12 by 20 boxes it would be real easy for you guys to basically build a kit for them like a deck in a box almost yeah with the steel I wonder if we could fly you up Is here and do a training seminar. Yeah, let's come up. There you go. Fire up here the too. smoker. Yes. Yeah. I got a brisket in the freezer right now. All right. This is going to end us again. This is the first time we've ever wrapped the Instagram timer twice. <laughs> nice. Somehow it's happening. So we'll, we'll, uh, I, I don't oh, know if you have, we don't oh, hold time. on. I have an announcement. Our second business is actually being announced soon. <gasps> NFDI. What's he talking about? His, I think he's selling shirts. I think he's selling cocaine and coffee beans. Yeah. He's probably starting <laughs> a Ontario. Have you seen? Like, he's a pretty slick-looking dude. Yeah. Right? Maybe he's doing hair gel. Could be that, too. That also wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we're going to fire the Instagram back up. I think we're at the end yeah. of this here. It, we just hit the two-hour mark, so that was a that's a feat in itself. Scott, I can't thank you enough for giving us two this hours awesome. of your time this morning because, uh, I don't know, anybody who's uh, actually well, thinking about doing steel framing, this episode is going to be pure gold for them. It's going to answer a lot of questions, and hopefully it helps like hopefully you've answered questions for 300 people and don't have to deal with them on a one by one case now. <laughs> like this will yeah. just kind of go out there to right. a bunch of contractors and they can, or you can just say like, go listen to the podcast. I talked about it already. I'm tired now for two months because I <laughs> talked for two hours. But like, it's right? so good. There's, you know, there's a lot of value in this one. And I think a ton of people are super interested in trying to get to steel. So yeah. thanks so much. Timing of this one is impeccable. Scott, is there anything else you wanted to ask us or any questions before we sign off on this baby here? 
I, I think we're good, man. It was a totally my honor and privilege to be with you guys. So thanks so much for having me on. Awesome, man. Well, if Wade ever does actually make it down to the Denver area at some point, which I think is only a matter of time, like, I have your you phone will, number. You guys will have to to actually make that golf go a golf trip. Yes. Out, so. He, yeah. he he doesn't mind yeah. golf here and there. Yeah, I don't mind the odd round per right? day. Per day. <laughs> per day, there you go. Okay, Scott, thanks so much for joining yeah. us. Thanks for giving us your time and your knowledge and everything else. We appreciate it. And uh, until next week, folks, take care of yourselves. Remember to go on to YouTube. Bryce has been posting up stuff in there left, right, and center. It's amazing. The Ultimate Deck Shop. See you next week. You've been listening to the Ultimate Deck Podcast. Ultimate Deck Podcast. Brought to you by the Ultimate Deck Shop. Shop with us at www.ultimatedeckshop.com or check us out at all the social networks we can keep up with. Hit us up for any collaboration or sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening.